Welcome to the Adventist Healthcare and You podcast. I'm Shanna, joined with L- Nimit. Hi, Nimit. Hi, Shanna. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Today, Lindsay Wise joins us. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. So, Lindsay is an oncology social worker at the Aquilino Cancer Center on the campus of Shady Grove Medical Center. She's been serving patients now for over 12 years. So, thank you for joining us today, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. So, we're going to talk a little bit about mental health in cancer patients or those that's been diagnosed with cancer. I had never heard of an oncology social work and that that was sort of a, a its own subspecialty. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that is and how you approach your work? Sure. So through my years working in the medical system, I really noticed that a lot of the focus was on the physical aspect of an illness and not a lot of attention was placed on the emotional or the other aspects of an illness. And so that's one of the reasons reasons why I went into the field because I had interest in in that and helping patients cope with a chronic illness such as cancer. Um, so I really find it an honor to work with patients and their families during this really scary time um, and helping guide them and walk them through their diagnosis and beyond. So at the Aquilino Cancer Center, one of the things that makes it so special is not only do we offer everything in one location from treatments, but also to all the resources that we have available. Um, And you talked about mental health. So why is keeping a person's mental health, emotional health in mind particularly important when it comes to cancer treatment? So no matter what stage or what type of cancer you may have, hearing the words you have cancer can be really scary and overwhelming. And so we are here to support our patients and their families and let them know that they're not alone and that we have support to help them cope, whether it's attending a support group or getting individual counseling, whatever it may be, but just making sure that patients know that they're not alone while they're going through this. I think when patients, you know, initially hear about their cancer, a majority of the focus goes towards their medical treatment and, you know, what kind of medications they're going to be on and what's their new regimen going to be. I think uh, many times emotional aspect of it not gets ignored, but it, it's it's like the back of the burner. An, after, an afterthought. Yeah. An afterthought, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, having that dedicated team to just focus on the emotional aspect it gives us such a holistic approach. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, patients are thrown into this so quickly and their family members as well. They hear the diagnosis of cancer and they need to start treatment quickly. So they are thrown into this quickly and it's it's scary and overwhelming. Can you talk a little bit about meaning-centered therapy and how that works at the Aquilino Cancer Center? Yeah, so this is something really special and unique that myself and a couple other counselors are uh, trained in. So this actually started at Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is one of the top cancer centers in the world. And what it does, so oftentimes when patients are faced with a chronic illness, such as cancer, they tend to lose sense of who they are and tend to feel depressed or, you know, despair. How are they going to go through this? What meaning-centered therapy does is help connect patients to different sources of meaning and what's important to them and in their lives. So it's a structured set of questions that our counselors go through and help them really reconnect to that sense of meaning, who they are before they are diagnosed, who they are now, um, and really helps with that connection. Are the 
resources that you have in this type of therapy available to everyone at the center? Yes, absolutely. So we offer all of our um, services to patients and family members as well, because as we all know, cancer doesn't impact just the patient, but the whole family. What are some ways that patients can tap into the meaning-centered therapy? You know, if they don't sign up for the individual counseling, we are offering different programs and support that can kind of access the creative sources of meaning. So for example, we have writing your own legacy, which is a special offering that we do for our patients. That's just something really special that patients have found a lot of joy in connecting to that piece. And all of these services are free. And if they are needing support beyond what we can offer them, that's when we can help connect them to different um, resources in the community. I think that's so important to say that this is a free resource. So patients undergoing cancer are already faced with financial burdens or the the anxiety of treatment and the cost, but here's something free that they can take advantage of that is going to help them and and that they don't have to worry about paying for. Absolutely. You should see the relief on people's faces when I say, you know, all of our services are free of charge and they're just kind of like, you're kidding me. This can't be real because, you know, everything has a charge these days. So again, it's one less burden that people have to worry about, you know, if they want to try a yoga class or try getting into individual therapy that they don't have to worry about a charge for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you mentioned, you know, family members um, have a significant impact too. What are some of the suggestions you have for patients and the family members in terms of their mental health and what are some of the recommendations you would provide to them? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I always let patients know that that it's okay to feel what they're feeling, that there's no right or wrong feeling and that they're not alone. Because I think oftentimes people don't speak up because they're thinking, well, I'm the only one feeling this way. I don't want to say anything. So just letting patients know that they're not alone and it's okay to have to feel all the feelings. I always tell my patients that there's no manual for how you're going to cope with this, that any and all feelings are okay to have. And it's the you know, the most important thing is making sure that you find a healthy outlet for those feelings, whether for some people it's individual counseling, for others it's attending a support group and connecting with others who are going through a similar experience. And it could be a trial and error thing. You know, I always tell my patients they've never been faced usually with something like this before. So they may not be able to run five miles like they used to, but maybe attending a gentle yoga class may be helpful for them. So really trying to figure out what works for them based on what they're going going through physically as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you said, there's not a single manual and no two patients are alike. But I think when they hear, you know, this is normal and this is acceptable and, and you know, many people like you are, are going through similar feelings. Right. Um, I think it just gives them assurance that, you know, this this is okay to feel. So whatever they're feeling are, is, is acceptable. They're not alone. And it is the normal course. But here are some resources that would help them cope through it. Right. Because I think so often patients do go like suffer through all of this because they're like I said, they're afraid to speak up. And so, you know, at Aquilino, we're really trying to change this culture of healing in terms of really making sure that we're addressing all the needs, not just the physical, but the emotional, psychosocial, spiritual. And you're there for the family members as well, because mm-hmm. they're all, they're having all the feelings too. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of them feel like they maybe can't speak up either because how can I speak up? And I'm having all these feelings when my family member is absolutely dealing with all of this too. And so everybody has has a need and and the caregiver support is so important absolutely. when somebody has a chronic illness. Yeah. And so making sure 
that the family gets supported so that they can support the patient as well. Absolutely. So it's, it's a really, a, a, the patient really is in the center of the care there with the family around them, their care team around them. Yes. And that caregiver support is so important. And that's something that usually also gets pushed aside that the caregiver is always focused on taking care of the patient that they forget to take care of their own needs. So mm-hmm. we really try to make sure that the caregiver and the family's members are getting the support that they need as well. That's great. And what are some of the um, signs that people could see on, you know, patients or family members? Because sometimes they may not know they need professional help, but others who are, you know, their friends or around them may know that. So what are some of the signs that they could look for if they see those things that they should contact somebody? Yeah, I think, you know, if if you're noticing any unusual behavior, so if you're noticing, you know, people are withdrawing or isolating themselves more, they were usually a social person and they're keeping to themselves, if they're eating more, sleeping more. I think really noticing if they're withdrawing would be a sign. And I always tell family members, make sure to check in with the patient, say, how are you doing? Like put the side effects aside, you know, in terms of physical, like how are you doing today? And again, going back to normalizing, like if they're having a bad day, it's okay to have a bad day. Just really checking in with them. Yeah, when I used to check in with my employees in my previous role, I used to always ask, how are you doing? And and many times you get the response, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then you have the second or third time note, like, how are you doing? And I think that's when you really get the actual feelings and and say, okay, this is what is going on. And I think just having them talk about it just helps a lot. Absolutely. And providing that space, that routine check-in, you know, how are you doing today? I know today, you know, today was a tough treatment day. How are you feeling? And really paying attention to their needs too. One of the other things I wanted to ask is about, you know, survivors, mm-hmm. you know, cancer survivors. So it's often, I don't know, I always thought this, oh, well, once treatment's over, it's over. Well, that's not really the case. There's a lot of side effects. There could be side effects from the treatment, but also, you know, the emotional toll of what they went through, but then also fears of recurrence or, or other things. Are there resources still available for those that have completed treatment. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up because I think that's oftentimes when I see a lot of my patients because when they're going through treatment, they're kind of in survival mode, getting from one chemo to the next chemo to surgery or whatever it may be. It's oftentimes at the end, the doctor will say, we'll see you in three months for follow-up. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, like, what do I do now? And all the emotions kind of pile forward of what they just went through over the past year or however long they've been going through treatment. So that's actually oftentimes when patients really do utilize our support. Oh, okay. Um, so, and it's so important because like you, you mentioned that fear of recurrence, adjusting to a new sense of normal, where a lot of times people around you are thinking like, you're done, you, you should be fine, right? And not realizing all the emotional aspects that they're still dealing with after going through you know, the trauma of yeah. being diagnosed. And, and the, yeah, and the physical toll. Too. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. There is a physical toll to some treatment. Yeah, absolutely. So, but that's a lot, you know, when people really want to utilize the support. And plus, they have the time too. Yeah. <laughs> when you're going through treatment, you're, you know, lots of times people are there every week or a couple times a week. So it's hard to find time. So, one last question. When somebody enters the Aquilino Cancer Center or enters any sort of cancer treatment, what should they look for in their cancer center or or 
How should they find these resources? I think one thing that they should really make sure to do is talk to their medical team. Oftentimes the doctor is so focused on the physical again. Ask your doctor, what other support is available for me? Do you know of any support groups? Because oftentimes you are spending a lot of time with the doctor and the nurses. So I think asking and advocating with your medical team, but also just maybe if there's a website, like we have aquilinocancercenter.com to check out all the different classes and offerings that we have, but always they have a oncology social worker at the center or a nurse navigator reaching out proactively and seeing what support may be available based on where they're getting treatment. Thank you. Nimit, any other last questions? No, I think you covered it all. Thank you, Lindsay, for coming today. We really appreciated having you. Thank you. And for our listeners to find out more about the Aquilino Cancer Center, visit AquilinoCancerCenter.com. For more information about Adventist Healthcare, visit AdventistHealthcare.com. And thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts so you get alerted of our new episodes. Thank you, everybody. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.